Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, who was just up here and all of our staff and pastors are so glad that you're with us today, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. If you're watching online or you're in here uh, in person with us uh, for the very first time, we're so glad uh, that you made it out. I always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody shout three times. And here's why, as I know, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So please come back. Sometimes it's not raining cats and dogs, and you can have a better experience coming to church and uh, not feel like you have to dry off your hair with paper towels. And so uh, please come back. Hopefully this will be your spiritual family. That's our hope. If you are watching online, love for you to do a few things. Like, comment, share, leave a review. Do something in the comment feeds right now. Just give a comment um, and just let us know that it's really a great way for us to get through the algorithms. And then if you're in here in person, do me a favor, take out your phone. I know it seems a little weird to take out your phone in church, but you can do that. Check in, let people know you're here at church and you're excited to be in the house of God. Today we are continuing a series called Do Over. Everybody shout Do Over. And the reason we're doing that is because I don't know about you, but I look back on the year 2020 and I think one thing in my mind, man, I wish I could do that thing over again. Like that, that, that year was a little odd and a little different. And how many of y'all are like me that if you would have known 2020 would have turned out the way it did in January, you would have done some things different, right? Come on, like you would have done a few things over. And so we looked at some categories uh, in the last couple of weeks of life about what we wanted to do over this year so that we can have a great 2021. First week, we talked about uh, how to do over your health. Last week, we talked about how to do over your time. Today, I'm going to, and I've been like, I've been, I've, I was telling somebody the other day, I've been feeling like the series is like slowly making everyone mad, just like worse and worse. You know, like, don't talk to me about my health. I don't want to talk about that. Week one, I start off making you mad about your health. Week two, last week, I talked about making you mad because everybody hates to talk about your time. And if you're late, you don't really want to talk about it. You're like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm late. So, no, we talked about that. Today, I'm going to make everyone extremely upset. So I'm going to talk about your identity, and we're going to, um, I'm going to really go after some of what we call, um, just I, I, call, I call identity idols in our lives, and, and really hopefully just redo uh, that in 2021 for us to have a great year. If you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter number three, Exodus chapter number three is where we're going to be today. Exodus is found in the Old Testament. If you don't know anything about the Bible, the Bible is broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible in the Old Testament starts with Exodus, uh, Genesis, and then it gets right to Exodus, which is only the second book, and it really talks about the Exodus of the children of Israel out of slavery. And so in Exodus chapter 3, I'll give you some context before we read it. Um, there's a guy named Moses who's one of the more famous scripture, uh, scriptural you know, characters in all of the Bible. And uh, Moses uh, does, he, he has an interesting life, okay? So Moses was born a Hebrew, but, you know, in, in that time, the, the, the Pharaoh or the, the leader of, of the, the, you know, the kind of the world at that time were killing Hebrew boys. And so his mom gives him up, puts him in a basket, floats him down the river. The, it, literally, the Egyptian daughter finds him, brings him out. And that's interesting because the Moses' name in Hebrew means chosen, but the Egyptian name means drawn out. And the reason they say that is because he drew him out of the river. And so he has a unique aspect of life. He's able to see two sides and two cultures, but as one person. So this is interesting. We're laying the groundwork and the foundation. All this stuff matters, just so you know. So I'm giving you context of why this is important. So Moses grows up. He winds up having a moment where he sees his own Hebrew people uh, kind of abused by an Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian, then he runs off. For fear of being, you know, kind of retaliation or being thrown in prison or even being killed himself, he goes off for 40 years, the backside of a desert, and then he has what the Bible scholars call a theophany. Everybody say theophany. 
It's like this burning bush moment where they, most scholars believe it's the, it's the kind of the, the, the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament or theophany literally meaning the presence of God. Like there's a literally a manifest presence of God to a person. And you kind of see this is we're going to read about one of three that Moses has. And he has it inside of Exodus chapter number three, verse 10. And God addresses two main issues inside of his life. Again, remember, his identity is split in two from Hebrew, knowing he's Hebrew by blood, but growing up as an Egyptian. And he says this in, he, uh, in Exodus chapter three, verse 10 says, now go for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. So I'm going to send you back to the place that you ran away from. And you must lead my people out of, uh, out of Egypt. Moses protested to God, said, who am I? Everybody say, who am I? Say, who am I to appear before, he, before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God at this very mountain. So he says, you're going to go back. You're gonna re- the people, they're going to come with you. Pharaoh's eventually going to pay attention, and he's going to come and let you come back. And you're going to come back and you're going to worship at this very mountain. Verse 13 says, but Moses protested and said, if I go to, work, uh, to the people of Israel and tell them that God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask like this one question like okay all right pop quiz then if you come from god that you said is our ancestors god all right then who is he what's his name and uh he said then what should i tell them god like how do i let them know how are they going to know that this is and he said this is so funny this to me is like god like i get it like god just does this cool thing he says you tell them i am who i am so say this to the people say say i am sent you I like that's the most baller move that I ever see God do inside of all scripture. He's just like, I said, I am sent you like you don't even need to tell my name. Just tell him I am is the one that sent you. God is highlighting for Moses two major issues that you and I will all face inside of this world. The identity crisis that we all will have with two main things and two main characters inside of our, our lives, who God is and who we are. Okay, Old Testament. All right, now we're going to go to the New Testament, Colossians. If you can, turn your Bibles to the New Testament, Colossians. It's an epistle or what we call a letter from Paul writing to the church at Colossae. And he says this in chapter number 3, verse 10. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self. Everybody say old self. He said, with its practices. So he says this and he highlights for all of us. You need to realize that your actions and your practices are not independent from your identity. That who you are, when you know who you are, you know what you to do. And so what happens is, is a lot of us think, well, why do I do this and why do I do this? The reason you do things is because you've attached your practices to your identity. Who you are determines what you do. He says, so you're, you're, you're taking off the old self. You used to be like something before you met God. You used to attach your identity. You were known to people for other things. Before you met God, but then when you met God, this is what he said, verse 10, you put on the new self, which is being renewed or done over. Come on, we're doing over ourselves, right? God's doing something in our lives. There's a continual, you have, yes, you have one sanctification. You have salvation that happens in that moment, but then you have a continual sanctification every day that God's continuing to cleanse us of all unrighteousness every day. Because I don't know about you, every day I wake up a sinner. Every day I get on the freeway. I don't want to act like God when I go into H-E-B and there's a thousand grocery carts everywhere. When, come on. When I turn on the television, when I watch, when I'm around people and when I don't get my way, I don't want to act like godly people. I want to act like something else. 
He says, you're being done over in the knowledge, image of its creator. Paul's highlighting yet again who God is and who we are. Today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is how to do over your identity in 2021. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Lord, I, I honor you today. And today there is a specific word for all of us. Maybe more than any other time that I've preached on this platform, God, I am begging you to speak to us today and speak through this message in such a unique way that we would walk out of here truly changed. Father, I, I pray that as we stand up to walk out these doors, God, we would examine our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You know, it's funny, our culture right now, in context, if you uh, are looking out on just the context of our culture and our landscape right now, most things and most topics right now are about the political world that we live in. Because, you know, uh, we just had a, an election and then just the new president comes in and, and we, we have, you know, uh, a, a bunch of news reports and everybody's talking about it. And so uh, I, I read an article the other day about a, a Massachusetts governor who is running for a second term. And when you're in politics, you have to, um, I, I grew up a political science major. I, when, I went to, uh, when I went to university, I got, trying to get my bachelor's in political science, I, I, was, I was all about politics. I, in fact, before I became a pastor, I had two thoughts. I was either going to be a lawyer or a politician. Now, for some of you, you're like, that makes total sense because you got a big mouth, right? So, like, I, I get it. And so, at some point, I had to make a decision to, I'm going to go follow Jesus. And here's why. Here's why I did that. I had an epiphany, a thought, an idea. Even at a young age, I realized that I could either work on the fruit or I could work on the root. And politics, at its very nature, is handcuffed to fruit, right? It's, it's, it's the nature of what it is. Let's debate ideas on how to fix what's wrong. The problem is, is that you can't really fix society without fixing the heart of society. And you can't fix the heart of society with law and legislature. So I decided I was going to be a pastor, and I was going to make people spiritually mad instead of, you know, politically mad. So that's what I was going to do. And I read this story about a Massachusetts governor, and he was traveling around, and he was doing this kind of thing where you got to go fundraise, and he gets to this church barbecue fundraiser that he's doing, and of course, they're feeding people, because that's what we do as Christians. We eat, y'all. We feed folk. We saw Jesus feed the 5,000, and we took that as license to start just every church function, we should have some food. Before COVID, we used to just, you know, we do coffee and little donuts and little things, and now we can't do any of that because people get all, you know, fussy about it. And we like COVID, but I miss the donuts, you know? So that's what we do as church folk. We eat. And so we, he, was, he was at a church function, and he's walking in line. He hadn't eaten all day. He's gotten too busy. How many of y'all ever gotten so busy you didn't eat all day, and now you're hangry with your family? So he's hangry at the end of the day. And he's walking down the line, and he's walking with this plate with everyone else, with all of his constituents. And he gets to the lady who's handing out the chicken. She's handing out chicken for the day. And he's, she hands him one piece of chicken, and he says, excuse me, ma'am, may I have another piece of chicken I haven't eaten all day? She says, nope, one piece of chicken per person. He says, excuse me, do you know who I am? Now, I, I think that's, that's powerful. You know, when you're the governor of a state, you know, you're used to power. You're used to having some level of like, now people give me a little bit of privilege. And he looks at her and he says, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of Massachusetts. Stands up, squares his shoulders. And she says, well, that's lovely. Do you know who I am? She squares her shoulders, stands up tall, and he goes, no, who, who are you? She goes, I'm the one handing out the chicken. Get moving. <laughs> she knew who she was. 
She wasn't misunderstanding her identity. It seems he didn't either. It's funny how I look at the landscape of life that, isn't it true what we believe determines how we behave? A lie believed to be true will affect you as if it was true. I mean, isn't that true? All of anxiety, all of worry is really most likely lies. That you and I have believed so much to be true that they're now affecting you as if they were true. In fact, I saw, I, you see most studies, most anxiety and most fear and issues are things that never even come to pass. So if how we believe determines how we behave, then we need to be careful with how we, how we operate and what we believe. The other day, my, my mother was telling me the story of my birth. And um, I love my mother, but at times, you know, she says stories that make me, uh, you know, uh, you know, question things. I mean, there's a reason why I'm in counseling. So anyway, you know, I, I feel like she was telling me a story, and this is maybe one of them. I'm not. You, you be the judge. She tells me the story of my birth, and I say, Mom, when I was born, you know, tell me about my birth. Were you just so excited? She's sitting right here. Mom, I love you. She, I said, Mom, you were, were you, just, you were just so excited. Wouldn't you just, just happy as all get out when you hand, when the doctor handed me to you, sweet little nine pound, eight out, how old, 11 pound, 12 out. I was a big baby, and so she, I said, what was I like? You know, she said, well, son, I, deli- I, I, I was in labor with you for 30-something hours. Now, they don't let you do that anymore. Now they just come and get the baby. But, 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 but before, they let you work. They let you work that thing out, you know. They let you be in pain for a little bit. And I wouldn't come down the birth canal, she said. So when you finally came out, you had a, a perfectly cone-shaped head as a baby, And when they handed me to you, I didn't smile, I didn't laugh, I didn't cry tears of joy, I cried tears of sorrow. She's telling me this. She says, I was so upset. I said, Mom, why was I, why were you upset? You brand new first burn baby little boy. I was, why were you so upset? She says, because I believed that your head would never round out and you would go through life with a cone head. And you wouldn't, and I, I was struck, how do I claim him as my son? He looks so weird. That's what she said to me. She had believed that my head would never, and to, to this day, my head is not, I'm just kidding, come on, I look okay now, right? Right? Yeah? Okay, okay. You scared me there for a minute. And, um, you know, because, because how you believe determines how you behave. What you believe, what, what you believe, what you believe about God determines how you, you behave with him. You believe God to be a tyrant, evil, angry, Zeus looking character on a cloud with lightning bolts waiting for you to do something wrong. You treat him a certain way. You relate to him a certain way. How you believe about yourself will, will determine how you behave with yourself. Because if you believe yourself to be not valuable, not worth it, if you believe yourself to be anything other than a son or daughter of the king, you'll behave that way. That's why you always look at those people who seem to be wonderfully, they're attractive, great personalities, got everything ahead of them, great potential, and they give away everything that they call themselves to be to somebody who, who's not worth it 
Come on, we all seen that person, that lady or that man, and you're like, what are you doing with them? You see it, but they don't. Because what we, what we believe determines how we behave. So, so who are we? Who are we? Paul writes a letter to the church at Philippi to address the, the issue of identity. I'm convinced the more I read the Bible, the more I read the epistles. I've been studying the Word of God for many years. been a pastor for 20. been teaching it for the so long. But the more I read the New Testament, I love the Bible because it's the only book that reads you. It reveals things inside of your life. And I'm reading the Bible. I'm watching what Paul's saying. And all of his letters are so powerful. I encourage you, go read his letters, Romans, you know, Corinthians, and you know, Philippians, Colossians. Go read his letters to these churches. And he's writing. He, he's trying to help people understand their identity. And he says something about who we are. At the, in the backdrop of a culture and a society, okay, listen, that was so similar to now, it's eerie. Because you would look and think, well, this is the worst time in human history. Not if you've read human history. People love to say sweeping arguments, you know, everything, always, everyone, without actually going and looking at it. If you go look at human history, there's been some pretty terrible times. Paul's writing at a time in human history that looks similar to ours. He says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, now that should make you all mad. Because he starts off to remind you that we're in the family of God. So he starts off with, remember family, family meeting. Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, which is so good. He's kind of like a daddy. I like, it's like, come on, kids. If I told you once, I told you twice. I told you a thousand times. Said it before. I'll say it again with tears in my eyes. Hear the pain in Paul. That there are many of those who conduct, whose conduct, whose conduct, Actions, ways of life, living, social media posts that shows that they're really enemies. The cross of Christ. Okay. Paul, this is not fun. Can we move on to everything else? How about the like blessing of God? Talk about that. He's like, I'm not done. They're headed for destruction. Their God, this is so good. Please hear this. Like, if you're asleep, if someone's asleep next to you, elbow oh, them, wake them up. Okay, this is good. Their, their ap- God is their appetite. He said, it's not even that their little, you notice the little G there? The, the, it's a little G God in those scriptures. Their God is their appetite. So it's not even what they've used to consume their appetite. It's what the, their desire actually is. What do you wake up? You should ask yourself and think about and evaluate your life. What do you do in the morning when you wake up? What's the first thing you grab? Where's your appetite? What do you crave? What channels do you go to on your television? What news articles do you read? What people do you hang out with? What viewpoint do you listen to all the time? What do y'all do? Where, where, I'm, you should examine it. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. We don't have anybody in the world who does that. 
They think only about this life on earth. So he's, he's highlighting some things. He's saying there's, there's some enemies of the cost of Christ. There, there are people who have not realized who we really are. And then in verse 20, he says, but here's who we are. We are citizens of heaven. Okay, 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 Paul, okay. So, 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 so we're all going to say this because I think it's good for our spirits. We are citizens of heaven. One, two, three. Citizens of heaven. Okay, say it one more time. Citizens of heaven. Okay, just because I like it. Say it one more time. Citizens of heaven. So you and I, if you follow Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ in here, you're off the hook. Congratulations. The same for you. I'm going to get the Christians right now on your behalf. Okay, so we're citizens of heaven first. For anything else. The only problem is. There are little things that come into our life that hijack our identity. And here's, here's what's really hard about it. Let me just, if I could summarize for you. They're not bad things. They're good things that have been elevated to God things, and now we're in trouble. So I thought I would, in the time I have left, share with you some of mine. This is not of yours. None of you struggle with this. I struggle with this. So I'm just going to share with you my issues, my idols, so that in maybe we could all learn from my mistakes. Number one, I thought I would use my license. I have a license. Some of you have a license. Hopefully you have some form of identification. But on your identification, there's some ways that show my ID. We call these what? Our identification, our ID. Show me your ID. You pull out your driver's license. So this is my identification. I notice on my identification, I have a few things. Number one I have is my birthday. Shows how old I am. And I've just noticed that some of us have elevated our age above the fact that we are what? We are citizens of, of heaven. If you're young in here, here's how we do it. You've excused bad behavior for your age. So if you're a teenager, you're a college kid, if you're a young adult, you think, I got to sow my wild oats. I got to act cray. I got to do dumb things. It's the time to do it. Right? So the world has told you since you're young, act dumb. Only problem is when I read the Bible, there's a lot of young people who did some pretty amazing things. Did you know most scholars believe that the disciples were young people or teenagers? That they were young. That they, were, they, were, they didn't trade acceptance for, for influence. They didn't, they didn't trade the idea of like, I'm going to be respected instead of just being liked. And when you're young, you're insecure, so you trade all these things just to be liked. Yeah. I'm going to trade dumb behavior. And when you like me, it'll be great. But the problem by living like that is if you notice people are fickle, and just as quick as they'll like you, just as quick they won't like you. I've noticed people can type ugly things on social media as quick as they can type nice things on social media. So if, you're, if your idol is your, is your age as a young person, you, you, man, you get, you get messed up quick. Maybe you're not a younger, maybe you're in the seasoned generation. You know what I'm saying? You got that salt and pepper flow going on in your hair. And you've been around the block. And you feel like you paid your dues. And now instead of your idol is like, like your age is now made you mean. Because you, you saw on the television shows that the old people are supposed to be mean and run the kids off. 
And so you run the kids up, get off my lawn, right? That's your life. It's your mantra. You walk around with a t-shirt that says, I'm old and I don't have to, right? <laughs> You've earned the right to be, you walk around with like a lemon in your face, just, just angry all the time. Jesus did something funny. He said he would, he would rebuke the people who ran the kids off, by the way. If, if, you're, if you're seasoned in here, you got some time on you, don't run the kids off. Because you're not your age. I know a lot of seasoned people who are younger than most young people. You ain't your age. It's, it's, you got to have a value in your life that I'm a citizen of heaven first. And my Bible told me that Jesus would say to tell the children, come to me. And Titus talks about the old should actually mentor the young. So if you have some time on you, your responsibility in here is to find all the young people and say, what can I do for you? How can I help you be the best version of you? And if you're young in here, you should have some spect on your life. Treat them right so that they can actually want to do that. Works together. Why? Because we're in a family of God. Number two is this. Um, I've noticed another thing is interesting is my address is on here, like my neighborhood. And I've noticed that there are some people who have elevated their neighborhood above God. They're not citizens of heaven first. They're where they come from first. Like, you know where I'm from? I'll tell you about my hood. From California. West Coast is the best coast. You know what I'm saying? So you ain't even know you. No one knows you but but your hood. Right. Seriously. They don't know you where you they don't know where you came. You don't know. Where I, you said you don't know where I came from. And your identity is wrapped up in where you where you from. And if it's a bad place, like I notice people who come from poverty, they get money and they're still stuck in poverty. Because their identity is wrapped in where they came from. Because poverty is not a financial level, it's a spirit. Well, maybe you came from a good hood. You got blessed. You came up with everything you wanted. Your challenge is that you never lived by faith. So because you've elevated where you come from and you had everything given to you and you had everything you needed, you, you never had to live by faith before because you, you didn't trust in God for your life. You trusted in your money for your life. You trusted in your family for your life. You trusted in daddy's money or mommy's money or you trusted in whatever. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And then you get into the world and all of a sudden you realize that you have to believe God for some things. And that he don't answer all your prayers. Thank God we serve a good God that doesn't answer all my prayers. I'm thankful as I look back on my life. He didn't say, he didn't give me everything I wanted. Made me believe God for some things. But you're not your, your address. You're a citizen of heaven. Even Jesus knew that. You know, he came from Nazareth. There's a great story in the scripture that somebody said, anything good come from Nazareth? There was, Nazareth was terrible. No soil that was fertile. It was terribly disease-ridden. It was sickness everywhere. It was terrible. It was like the worst parts of the world, and Jesus comes from Nazareth? Like, what? Why? Because Jesus wasn't his, his address. Final thing I noticed on my license, and this is, if I haven't made you mad, this is going to do it. I'm going to put you over the edge. <laughs> I've been running from God, if I'm honest with you, as a pastor. Confessions of a pastor time? <laughs> I've been running from God about this point. I'm like, God, I don't want to teach this. I don't want to make people mad. I like it when people like me. So you should do it. It's the biggest idol of all of us when it comes to our, our identities, our appearance. Notice my license describes how I look. 
it uses descriptions of what I put off to people. My eyes and my weight, everything you guys can see, everything you guys can identify myself with. I've noticed, it's interesting, you look at the world right now and division has come from this idol the most. It's what you can see. It's what I can post about. It's what I can put on my bumper sticker. It's what I can wear on my t-shirt. It's what kind of mask color I wear. It's what kind of, what kind of, what does my skin color look like? It's what, where does my, where does my nationality come from? It's where does my, where, what is my religion? What do I claim to be on, on social media and what religion I follow? It's all facade and appearance things. Have you noticed that? It's fascinating. Could be your gender. I, I've noticed my, my gender's on my, my driver's license. And it, culture tells all us guys, you ever notice what culture predominantly tells us as men? Man, if you're a man in here, make some noise. Just go, oh, just something. Make some grunt. Right? All right just, okay, I hear you. So you're a man. And if you're a man, the culture tells you, you need to be muscular, mindless, or mean. Muscular. Be strong. You ain't weak. Don't let anybody know you're weak. You be strong. Fake it till you make it. You need to be mindless. You don't know what you're doing. Have you watched any TV shows recently? Any show? Just pick one. Sitcom. Most sitcoms are written with this idea in this context. The mom is a genius and could do anything with anything. Right? And that's true. But it wraps it with like a lie that the man, by default, knows nothing and can do nothing with everything. He needs, he needs like help getting out of bed and being normal because he knows nothing. He's the butt of every joke. Have you ever noticed that? Or, or you need to be mean. You, you need, don't listen to no woman. You run your kids away from you. You get what you want. You walk in the door. They serve you. You be mean about it. Don't be kind. Don't be patient. And you live your life. If you're a lady in here, three things I would say you're pushed to to do most in culture is to be perfect, pretty, or pushy. You got to be about perfect life. Perfect husband, perfect car, perfect house, perfect kids, perfect meals on the table. You better be a perfect worker. You need to have a perfect area of your life. Your hair needs to be looking perfect because you need to be pretty. Be pretty all the time. Have you ever noticed anything you ever watch, like the world or Hollywood? Like the lady always looks perfect. I was watching the, uh, Wonder Woman the other day, the, like the newest Wonder Woman. She's flipping around in the water, out of the water, running Getting thrown all over the place in her hair, it never looks messed up. It's curled all the time. There is no makeup running. She jumped out of the water. Like, that's amazing. And it's just like, you should too, right? Or, or, or you need to be pushy. Don't let no man tell you nothing. You, you do what you want to do. Be pushed around by no man. Why? Because because that's what everybody tells you to do. Maybe the um maybe the most maybe the worst idol of all that you see in this world right now. Um. And I kind of put them all in a category because it's all the things that everybody's fighting over. It's it's race, politics, nationalism, and religion. 
There's a tension in the family of God, and let's just talk about it. 800-pound elephant in the world, as I close today, is how do you live with people? Because I've had this asked to me all the time. How do you live with people? How do you be in the family of God with people? How do you love people who don't look like you, act like you, talk like you, walk like you, read the same articles like you, watch the same news pundits like you do, which there's no news anymore. It's all opinion. All the people who don't vote like you, all the people who don't see like you, all the people who don't read like you and watch movies like you and sing songs like you and go to the same churches like you and watch the same preachers like you and read the same Bible translations like you. How do you, how do you love them? It's a real question. I remind you that Paul was in the same boat and talking to the same culture that we had. And Romans chapter 16 is an interesting letter that he writes to, guess who he's writing to? The Romans. And in that time, so leading up to after the Acts church, the Pentecost falls, the church starts in Acts, the new church starts, and they have a good run at it. Most of them are Hebrew at the time, and you see, what you see in that time is that Rome's, Rome actually exiles, this is about 49 AD, you see Rome exile the Christians and the church out of Rome. Think about this, think about United States military personnel coming in and removing all Christians. That's basically what happens for Rome, because Rome was the dominating force by the decree of Caesar. Kicks Christians out overnight. They're gone. Debate is whether it's five or ten years. It doesn't really matter. It's a long period of time. They come back. They're allowed back into, Jews are allowed back into Rome, and they come back into, context is everything when you read the Bible. They come back into a church, come on, that looks dramatically different than the one that they left. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, the early part, he says something so odd. He uses literary devices that you would never use because when you write a letter, what you normally do in that time is you greet people on the front end. So Romans chapter 1 starts with I, Paul, a bondservant of God. He starts off with his identity of who he is. But he doesn't greet people like normal people would in the letters. I'm telling you, this is so good. Remember this. Listen, hear me. He starts it in chapter 16, and he says these names. He starts lifting off names, you know, Antiquus and uh, Mary and Rufus and all of these names. And you go back, scholarly work would go back and look at all these names. You should go back. He looks at these names. He greets them. He says, uh, you know, hello, Rufus, and to all those that are meeting with you. And he goes to all these names. And you go back and look at the origin of those names, and they weren't all Jews anymore. They were Gentiles. They were heretics. They were Greeks. They were Romans. They were every, they were Republicans and they were Democrats and they were independents and libertarians and they were conservatives and they were liberals and there were, there were all these people. You're not a Christian. When I left this thing, this was easy. We were all the same. We all were all kosher. We were all circumcised. And now we have a problem. So Paul writes to them. Context is everything. This is his response. And now I make one more appeal. The final thing. You ever hear that famous last words are always important. He says this. My dear brothers and sisters. Paul, stop it. Stop reminding me that I'm friends and I'm not just friends. I'm family with those people that I don't like. Stop it. You're being mean now. 
He says, watch out for the people who cause divisions and upset people's faith. By teachings that are contrary to what you have been taught. Because they sound really good. He says, here's what you should do with them. Stay away. Verse 18. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. Side note. The political parties have raised more money by far than they ever have in the history of politics. There are personal interests at play here, y'all. Okay. Both sides. Okay. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. So, so what he's saying is he's saying you're focused on the wrong thing. But they don't vote like I did. You're focused on the wrong thing. But their skin doesn't look like mine does. You're focused on the wrong thing. Thing, but they're not circumcised and they eat kosher. You're focused on the wrong thing. This is your time, church, to examine your heart. I can't pastor Facebook, but I can pastor you. You're in here. I'm pastoring you. You're, you're, you're focused on the wrong things. I'm American. I love this country. It's the greatest country in the history of mankind. But I'm a citizen of heaven first. I, I, I'm like Mexican and white and Indian, and, and I got all these weird, I did the genetic like 23andMe thing flow, right? I know all those things. I love my heritage and my race, but I'm a citizen of heaven first, okay? I, 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 love, I love Christianity, okay? Love it. I, I'm a Christian Bible preacher, but I'm a citizen of heaven first, not of religion, and when we get them out of order, you have division. The, go back to the or, original family that God created and established. Here's what's crazy. Go back and read it. God creates Adam or Adam. Right? He creates him, puts him in the earth. He puts a woman next to him. They create family. Before there was division between man and God, there was division between man and man. And it was driven by the serpent, the Satan, the enemy, who has one one weapon, and it's division. It's division. Guess what? The enemy that was then is the enemy right now, and he loves to sow seeds of division all between all y'all. And he says, yeah, you feel that way? So here's what's going to happen. You're going to see a post, and it's going to make you mad. How dare you talk? How dare you talk? about my, and then underscore whatever it is that you're passionate about right now. You're like, I've always been passionate about it. No, you haven't. You've heard smooth talk and pervasive words that glow, and they have deceived innocent people. And they've made you elevate good things. Is there anything wrong with being American? No, it's a good thing. I just don't elevate it above citizen of heaven. Is there anything wrong with being my race? No, that's a good thing. It's, I just don't elevate it above being a citizen of heaven. Is there anything wrong with my religion? No, not really. But I just don't elevate above being a citizen of heaven. I have elevated good things and made them God things. And now I'm mad about things I can't control. And the very thing that you're trying to do, which is to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, cannot be done without love. And that's what he says. 
So it's not a hippie religion where we love everyone and we don't have any disagreements. He's saying you embrace your disagreements under the guise of knowing that you're part of a family and you can't reach people you don't love. You can't, I'll say it the other way, you can't reach people you hate, that you post about, that you think you're so passionate about. If I just would post this, this is going to change the world. It hasn't so far. Mac made it worse. And you've fallen, you've fallen for, you've fallen for it again. Isn't it? The enemy is so, he's a pump. Did God say that? Did He never, he never, he never says outright things that you and I know is wrong. He's just going to have a little seed of truth wrapped in a lie. Like, oh man, I think you should say something about that. Because if you say something about that, then all the other Christians are going to rise up and then we'll all rise up together and then everything's going to be great and we're all going to take our country back. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith. I, I want to I submit something to you. Um, in order for us to truly reveal the face of Jesus, we have to embrace our differences. But we have to lay them down at the same time. And the only way you can do that is to be a citizen of heaven. Um, I, wanna, I wonder if maybe we could do something odd today. I have never done this, and it might sound weird, so um, please don't feel like it's weird. But I would love for us maybe to close our eyes just a moment, and maybe you could place your hand on your heart. And I want to read a scripture that I read. I read last night at our worship night, which was awesome. Which, by the way, if you did not come to it, you need to come to those when we do it. They're really good. I want to read you a scripture from Second Corinthians chapter 5. And it's Paul writing maybe the best set of scriptures that I've ever read in my life. And I just would maybe let these scriptures minister to you in this season. No one moving around, no one looking around, but you just humor me in this moment. Put your hand on your heart and just listen to these words. He says this, he says, Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first, the last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center that one man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life, if life far better than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once. We got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united, anyone united, anyone united, anyone united, with the Messiah gets a fresh start and is created new. Old life is gone. A new life begins. All that comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square on himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everything, what, everyone what he's doing. 
We are Christ's representatives. We are Christ's representatives. We are Christ's representatives. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences, to drop their differences, to drop their differences, to drop their differences, and to enter God's make work of making things right between them. We're speaking of Christ himself. Now become friends with God. He's already friends with you. Lord Jesus, I repent at your feet for everything that I've elevated above your name. For every time I was persuaded, for every time I was impassioned to move the little G's above you, Father, forgive me. Forgive us that we don't take this seriously. May we be citizens of heaven in everything that we do. May our conduct show what our heart knows. That before the the beginning of this world, we were enemies of you. And it was your grace. And it was your love that reached us. And I pray that everyone we consider to be an enemy, everyone we consider to be against us, God, that we would love truly, that we would lay down our differences, that we would become united. When we are united, we are undefeated. And it starts with who we are. We take the first step in Jesus' name.